Hi, my name is Bo Wang Takudi. I am a CEO of Armour Sui. I beat the often pad by creating a global protective wear brand that actually protecting people and the planet. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Joining us today is Bo Wang Trakuldi, PhD, scientist, entrepreneur, and founder of Amor Sui, a modern protective apparel company redesigning personal protective equipment, that's PPE as we all know since COVID, to empower women with greater function and protection in lab and medical settings. She's tackling two massive problems. One, that traditional PPE hasn't taken into account diversity and the needs of women in these types of environments. And two, that an enormous amount of waste is generated by an industry that has traditionally used single-use and ineffective options for these types of products. Bo has been named to Forbes Next 1000, Forbes 2021 Female Founders to Watch, and Top 10 Women Leading Healthcare Startups. So here's Bo Wang Tricoldi, founder of Amor Sui. Well, welcome to the show, Bo. It's absolutely an honor to have you here. Um, you made a mistake with your business, and that is that you started it two years before the pandemic. So you got into PPE two years too early before it was trendy. Well, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's because what we have learned from the first two years of the business, um, it's how we were able to have the connections and productions um, knowledge to be able to grow the, to, during the pandemic. Ross. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, <laughs> I think it's great. So you have a very interesting. Uh, you have a very interesting arc in your life. Can you explain first of all what the company is, and second of all how you ended up here, starting in 2018? Yes. Um, so Armour Sui come from a Latin term meaning self-love. And what um, we are building here at the company is a global protective wear brand with a mission to protect people on the planet. Um, I came into the PP space. Uh, my background is a PhD material scientist, a chemist. And I see the firsthand that what you said when you said personal protective equipment the protection is not set up to protect anyone um mm. because i was in um a chemical spill accident um while i was still working in a lab where i was hurt because my own ppe my lab code did not protect me so the chemi ke the oh. chemicals came right onto my body burned right yeah. through my lab code no. And so I was hurt as a result because it did not do the job. Um, no. And because, yeah, because I um, was going through the process of trying to find something where I could feel safe to go back to work again and did not find a solution for myself and really discover that the market was valuing the bottom line and the safety of the people. That's why I started the company that really focusing on the user, the PP themselves. So was the expectation then that the lab coat that you had on, did you believe at that time that it would protect you from the type of spill that you had? I mean, absolutely. I mean, you typically, you know, the personal protective equipment or PPE are given by your employee. In that case, I was working at the academic research institution. Um, you won't just have any questions or doubt that things that you were given is not protecting you until something worse happened. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, um, there's another argument around safety practice around having enough educations around what you're working with and how you should protect themselves. But that's another conversation to be have. Yeah, for sure. Chemistry was my worst subject in high school by far. 
Uh, I tried my best. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So have you always been interested in chemistry and science? Have you always excelled at it for as long as you can remember? Not really. I think similar to everyone that's trying to find a pad that was in, I think, in high school where science become a really big part of me. Um, I always been interested in math. But once you get really complicated, like calculus, then I lost the interest in that. I'm with um, you. And yeah, and science has been something that I'm already interested in because it's about the subject of finding solution to solve the problem. Um, and I'm really interested in, you know, like doing something new and innovative. I think this is a part of me that's always been with me from the beginning and just, you know, like, the finding solution to solve the problem part of science just really attracted me. And it came to be that chemistry was kind of combination of science and also math. So that's ultimately what I went into. That's great. See, I had that experience as well. I was always best at math in high school, went through calculus, calculus one, calculus two, calculus three. Technically, I did better in math than anything. And then I got to college and I went to one day of a college mathematics class and then I dropped out and I quit math forever. I said, I can't understand this. <laughs> I was so good and I thought I was going to do that. I went to one day, I took some notes and then the very next day I dropped out because I couldn't wrap my head around. And you're talking about 20 dimensions and things that you can't even theoretically conceive like of. How do you apply of? this to anything anymore? So. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I cannot imagine anything we are discussing, and it's impossible to imagine. It's like, how do you do math in the, the 18th dimension? It's like, uh, okay, <laughs> I'm out of here. So I dropped it that day, and I've since forgotten everything. Um, but your story is, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting because you unfortunately had a very negative experience, which is not a good way to get into any kind of line of work, but it is a very common thing that we've seen with entrepreneurs. So at what point did you decide to take your personal incident and turn it into actually a business that would solve this thing? I mean, interestingly, it, it took me at least eight years until I actually start the business. From the day wow, I discovered okay. the problem to start the business. Wow, okay. And I get asked about like, why so long? Or why, why does it take you so long? I think... Our mindset, especially for me as a scientist, is not always to, oh, I see the problem. I'm going to go start a business to solve that problem. Right. You know, and, and so, you know, and I also think that startup or creating something new that is not a traditional path is also something that's risky, scary, and, and you don't start it without, I also don't start anything without a plan. And it took me that many years to kind of plot my plan to get there. And a couple of things that really drive that is it's because once I got to Penn as a postdoc, um, sorry, I was in academic institution before I started my own business. And that was at, um, at the University of Pennsylvania, which had a really good uh, business school, a Warden business school. And so I get to join like a entrepreneurship community over there where you always talk about, oh, this is market opportunity. This is how you start the business. This is how you validate there's a business and things like that. And it really get me talking to potential user and my girlfriend that I really see that the problem does not just apply to me, but everyone. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge market opportunity for it that 
that's when you know the the idea of business actually kick up and return and then i start the business so did you go straight from academia to running a business or were you also in a career of a different kind first i i have a gap of career in a different kind before um, i start the business um, but i did validate the business idea why i was still a scientist at universe mm -hmm. university of pennsylvania so my pad was that I was in college, I was in a PhD program, I had an accident in a PhD program, I went to postdoc, and while I was doing a postdoc for several years, I had an opportunity to talk to user and really realize this is totally market for this. Like if I wanna start something in this, I think there's a market in this. And then I went into consulting, like running marketing campaign for pharmaceutical companies for a couple of years and learned that business size of it that I feel confident in myself to really start something. And that's when I started my own business. Very interesting. What was the first product or what was your initial concept that you had at the beginning? Because I think you've probably expanded it a little bit over the last few years. Yeah, we definitely have. The, the first original idea, um, and it came from, you know, all the conversation I have with women scientists at the time, which are that... Um, they said they got hurt in the lab because the lab coat did not protect them. It's too big. Wild. It's not fitted. Um, and they wish that there's a way they could wear more professional clothes under the lab that don't have to be scared of getting it burned or destroyed while doing work. So it's kind of like bench to boardroom outfit under a lab coat in case the lab coat won't work. Mm. Does that so make what you sense? could have done, it, it, it does make sense. But, you know, I think you made a big mistake because what you could have done when you got burned, if the woman who spilled hot coffee on herself from McDonald's has taught us anything, that should have just been a multi-million dollar lawsuit, all said and done, never need to work again, no need to build a business. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So you made it you're very right. hard for yourself. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sometimes entrepreneurs take a... Take a really strange path to get to one way to another, but <laughs> we all right. learn from experience one way to another. So you yeah, the, the original idea was, yeah, original idea was um, more fashionable, functional bench to the boardroom, uh, protective apparel that could act as, as like an additional apparel under a lab coat. So when you had the idea and you recognized the gap, what steps did you take to bring your idea into the real world? How did you begin building this thing and how did you know what it should protect against? I'm assuming based on my limited knowledge that there are many different chemicals or types of incidents that can happen. Yeah, um, and this is our process now with the business. Uh, we always start from the customer and potential user. Um, even before designing anything, I had over a hundred conversation like face-to-face -face or on a phone call, like a real-life conversation with over, yeah, again, 100 women scientists before we get started. And it's kind of determined, like, what are you looking for? What do you think is lacking? If we build something like this, what it needs to look like with all the features it should be. And it kind of informed us into the first line of clothing that we launched with the top pants, a dress, um, that then... I go into a product development where I, I look at the textile myself because that's where my background is from. 
Um, but then I brought in like a fashion designer to go through the prototyping process um, before nice. I'd go to market. And the marketing piece of it is, is another story <laughs> because, you know, when you put product in the market and, and do a marketing, it's, it's another beast of itself. So what kinds of spills or accidents or chemicals can your equipment protect against? And are there limits, you know, like sulfuric acid? Are there certain types of chemicals that nothing can protect against? Yeah, even in the textile industry, there is no unicorn fabric that could protect against everything. Uh, we separate our product line into fluid repellent. Okay. And also uh, more like a flame retardant uh, chemical protection. Mm. So um, when you think about the industry that use PPE, you know, like the big guys are research and development, you know, like labs, pharmaceutical, manufacturing, oil and gas refinery. So that is fire resistant and chemical retardant clothing. And then the fluid repellent is, um, is something that all the healthcare professional would wear. Mm. So anything from doctor, nurses, dentists, um, any kind, when, when, when you're doing surgery, seeing patients, being exposed to potentially anything that could be harmful to them. Um, so from, from the fire resistant and chemical resistant process, if there were something that's supposed to caught on fire, um, our clothing will self-extinguish themselves, meaning that it would not caught on fire and continue to burn. It would stop. Um, and from the chemical-resistant perspective, they, we, you could withstand spill for, um, I think, 60 to 75 seconds. So you actually could wipe it off before it gets into your body. Interesting. Does that make sense? It, it, it does make sense, yeah. So yeah. does I mean, does there's nothing that like protect everything because otherwise right. you just wear a shield. <laughs> right, exactly. You got a medical metal shield and a yeah. plexiglass thing in front of you. Um, so obviously uh, you have built this thing. Have there, how, how has the response been in the wild now that you've created this? Was the response on the other side of building it as positive as you had hoped? Did a lot of women say finally, thank goodness it's here? Yes, there's a lot of those. Um, and something that we didn't anticipate when I started launching the business is there are two gaps out there. Our products that deal with, um, not minority, because women is not minority, mm -hmm. but deal with race and gender gap of the workforce in the market. Mm-hmm. Things like PPE for women sizing or PPE for a specific race, like um, Muslim, like hijab. Mm. So one of our best-selling items that we do really little marketing and people come back and buy it again and again is a fire-resistant hijab because it's the only place in the market where they could find and buy it. So of course, you know, like the feedback has been, you know, like I have never seen this before. Thank you for developing it. You see people buy again and again and said, if, if you are a professor and you buy it for student, they said, my student loves it. You know, like, good for you to make sure that, you know, like people weren't caught on fire in my lap. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, it's such an interesting way and a very direct way to yeah. support women in and, science. And there's actually an incident that happened that really prompted a lot of this in 2018. Um, UCLA has an explosion in a chemical lab where a student was wearing um, 
a sweater that are nylon based and polyester based. And when polyester caught on fire, it's actually burned more. So she because actually it turns died. Into some kind of plastic that just melts. Yeah, and yeah, attaches and it melts into the body. So a nightmare yeah, scenario. This, yeah, the student actually, you know, she didn't die directly in the lab, but she actually passed away in the hospital. Yeah. And it was a huge lawsuit to uh, UCLA yeah. um, in 2018. And so, you know, because of that, you know, when we go to market in 2018, um, it was a good time for us to be. So the demand was there. The idea was clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I looked at your materials when I was doing research for this, I see the word circular a lot. The word circular in terms of equipment and various other. Can you explain to me what it means in the sense of PPE and equipment and safety equipment, what circular means in that sense? Yeah. So I have product with me. Okay. <laughs> so our competitors it's shaped like are a selling. Circle. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> That's um, all it means. No, no, no. no. Um, <laughs> The circular mean reusable and recyclable. Okay. Um, so I told you we have two lines of product, fire resistant and fluid repellent. When you think about fluid repellent PPE, you think about medical gowns, lap jacket. And in a healthcare professional, if you Google PPE during the pandemic, you see disposable PPE everywhere. Mm. Right? You think about disposable masks, you think about disposable gowns that are one time yeah. used, you throw it away. <laughs> right. Garbage, garbage um, everywhere. Yeah. Um, the problem with disposable products is not only is it wasteful as you could accept, it's actually expensive. You know, you pay to use it once and you pay to throw it away at, as a medical waste. They think you pay two times to use something once uh, for, for a health system that have 10,000 of uses per week. And right. you wonder like why, why these businesses are losing money at times. Right. Um, it's supposed to be a but then also it's not it's not protective. I think the most important thing is not protecting your people when you say the PPE. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Sure. Um, so I have a, a gowns with you uh, with me here. This is kind of like my competitors' products. Okay. And I'm putting like a napkin behind these gowns. Oh. Because these gowns are supposed to protect if someone spit or there's a bodily fluid. So you don't take it in your scrub and take it home or spread it throughout the hospital. Okay. And I have a water bottle. And what you see, I'm just going to do a couple. Sorry. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so, all right. I'm just going to do a couple squirt. And you will see that it's soaked completely through. Unbelievable. So it doesn't do its like, primary why, function? No, it doesn't do. And you pay for it. And we throw it in the landfill. Incredible. That seems you, you, do you, like do you, negligence. Do you think that that's a problem? Yeah, that's, that seems like <laughs> almost criminal negligence. I mean, how on earth could you market that and not just be false advertised? And for the people who are just listening, what she just demonstrated. Because she this, towel, is, this, is, uh, behind this is the practice the now. Yeah. And to change it, um, there's, there needs to be a product to, that it's comfortable to wear that could be washed without losing the fluid repel- like fluid protection. And there's gonna be a logistic around how do you processing gowns between use and recycling right. them after use. And, so and once, I, once I saw this opportunity during the pandemic, I, I just can't look away. And mm. so we still have the fire resistant line that is so selling and growing, but there's a, this part of the business that we're looking to solve as a big global, problem within itself 
And so when you go to our website, you know, we sell functional, well-fitted, um, fluid repellent gowns and medical jacket um, that have been safety tested to have fluid repellent. So I'm doing the same thing I'm doing. And yeah, I'm just putting, and you can go to our website too. We have many marketing images around this. I'm just doing, you would already see like the water going through. Right. And there's nothing here. Right. So for the people who it's are just listening, It's good for 100 wanna... wash. Yeah, it's good for 100 wash. So thinking about replacing 100 of those gowns. Incredible. So I want to just um, explain to the people who are listening and can't see the visual. Visual. She just did a visual test. So uh, she put a piece of paper towel behind the gown, just a simple spray bottle with water and just sprayed. And the first competitor, it immediately soaked through the paper towel and made it wet. But obviously with your product, that didn't happen. Very nice. Very handy. I feel like I'm a judge on Shark Tank right now, even though uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I, I'm yeah. sold. Uh, I don't yeah. have the money to invest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so my team, like we're building like a Lululemon of PPE that are also sustainable. Like um, so we cool. actually recruit textile engineer from Lululemon to work on the product with us. And my co-founder come from J. Crew and American Eagle. So he brought on cool. some designer to really design this. This is our current design, but we're launching new product next year that basically come with 10 pockets to store, you know, like all the things that medical professional wants. There's a feature that it could adjust to your waist and things like that. So, and it's going to look and feel like the Lululemon of PPE. Let me tell you. Does it you. have a special pocket just for donuts? That's what I care about. Is there a donut shaped <laughs> pocket? Can there be an 11th pocket sure. just for me? Sure. <laughs> Can we do that? Most important yeah. thing when you're on the job on a long shift. Uh, but what I think this illustrates, and you know, there are many different fascinating aspects of your story, but the sustainability aspect, because I, I feel that there are certain categories of our existence that we don't think about sustainability. When it comes to personal consumer items like a bottle of Coca-Cola, we think about single-use plastics, but there's this whole category of medical wastes that people never really think about because I think medical, we assume that it's more important that it's okay yeah. to just dump, you know, tons and tons of things. Like you said, a hundred times this piece of PPE is trashed when it could just be reused a hundred times. So how much medical waste must there be in general? It, it's gotta be astronomical, right? So much it plastic. Is, um, during, during the pandemic, it was 200 tons per year. Whoa. For one for one country. Okay. So it's a big deal. A lot of landfills yeah. are filled up. Yeah. And of course, because like yeah. you said, somebody spits on it one time. Oh, that's garbage. Yeah, exactly. Because all the healthcare professionals are switching between patients. Um, if they're doing a really good practice, they're supposed to switch mm -hmm. between patients. Um, another thing to think about, uh, statistic wise uh, the u.s healthcare system if you consider it as a country it's the eighth most polluted country in the world no way incredible and you know i want to be clear here because we we've talked on the show a lot about single-use plastics and about how bad they are in general but obviously in the healthcare industry a lot of health advancements have been made thanks to single-use plastic and plastic in general i think one industry that has benefited the most from this technology over the last decades is the medical industry because it's so mission critical. You know, you can't be reusing syringes. There are so many items in 
treatment of patients that need to be protected. So if there's one area that it's justified, you could say that it is medicine. However, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be revisiting these things and asking ourselves if it's really necessary on every component. Yeah, but I, I think that the industry also advanced in, in terms of processing and sanitization of these material mm. to be reused and reprocessing again. And again, we're paving a way for, for the category in the supply chain, which mm -hmm. is PPE, that mm -hmm. a lot of hospitals are overlooked because it's really hard to implement um, logistical-wise. And we're building not only the product, but the software around connecting hospital with the medical laundry cleaner to be able to make this happen for them. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. You have this software component, which people don't often think about. So when did you realize that there needed to be software and how did you go about building that? It came naturally um, by having conversation and trying to implement our product with a customer of ours, like an enterprise health system. They said, I love to switch to reusable product. I love your product, but we don't have laundry capacity. We cannot clean 10,000, 20,000 gallons in our laundry facility. Mm. How could we make this happen? So if I'm and UCLA, so, yeah, what, what does that process look like? If I say, I want to switch, I want to go with you, how does that work from start to finish? Yeah, for reference, UCLA is it's already using reusable gowns. They're using another brand of reusable gowns. Uh -oh. um, uh, we hope, we hope <laughs> one day we'll have business with that. Um, uh, but so the way, the way that it works is that... Um, Typically, we started a pilot program, one patient floor, one room to test out the process. And we have a medical laundry vendor in our network who already have our software install, our hardware to detect. Um, we have our, um, like a detection, kind of like a clothing tag that work with our hardware. Cool. And once they kick that off, then the laundry partner service them everything they do, pick up, they do drop off, they're tracking the the how many time it go through the washes and because we our detection are so sensitive her like uniquely to each items each time it go through processing we could also could track like a carbon footprint reduction as like a performance or report that they could report back to the public how cool um, is that yeah so the hospital just help us with where to go where to be pick up and drop off and our partner work with us to do that and they could get access to a cloud base to track the progress over time. A service like this is really important at this time because there is a public um, shift in, in a public policy around healthcare climate um, action. So, um, so the, um, the president office and uh, HHS, which is like a help authority for, for the U.S. national uh, government, has demanded that um, the U.S. hospital are working toward cutting carbon footprint to 50% by 2030 Great. and to net zero by 2050. And one in third hospital is already signed on to that pledge. Really? Um, That's great. Yeah, and one of the biggest, one of the biggest bucket, as you could imagine, is how do you switch from disposable to reusable because if you don't do that you can't really get to net zero no. carbon so do you yeah. think that every hospital because again you mentioned 
I think there's obviously a globe. There's the U.S., but there's also the global aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, does every hospital, is there the infrastructure in place to have the right washing facility near any given hospital? Or is that something that you have to set up? What What is required on the cleaning side for it to work with all of this? Um, in major cities in the U.S., and I, we kind of look at, you know, like five geographical area, tri-state, you know, like um, New England, or um, kind of like, you know, like a, a, sorry, the Midwest, for example, or like a Dallas and the, the West Coast area. Those are kind of like a five, like big healthcare area. There are already medical laundry facility that are congregated in those area that could do the work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not the problem. And they actually love that we bring business to them. Um, but the next idea for us which we might be working on as we grow is how do we create a processing unit within the hospital that can clean our products without having them doing the service. It's another problem that it's a hardware problem. So it's going to take a lot of money and time to get there. But that's just kind of like within the horizon. If if we keep growing and we keep solving this problem. So would that be something that the hospitals themselves have to invest in then? Or who would make that happen? I mean... I cannot answer it right now because it's just an idea. Sure. <laughs> but you could think of maybe it's kind of like a, um, a closet that you install in the department that when you hang it back up, it's like, a, it's like a cleaning unit within itself. And when you open it up, it's clean again. Really? I don't really? know. It's just a crazy Whoa. idea. Okay. All right. I like it. Crazy idea. That sounds uh, fascinating. Well, I'm very glad that so many hospitals are signing up for this and that they're on board because you might imagine that they'd be, they'd be skeptical. Like you said, a third. That seems higher than I might have imagined, but it's encouraging. Yeah. So they just start thinking about it now. Um, and we have had many conversations picked up with large enterprise within the past six to eight months because they have signed on and start thinking about it. Mm. Um, within next year... We'll be looking to do pilot with many large health systems and we'll grow really quickly in this area. Um, but it just it's just getting start. The industry is just getting start and accepting the ideas around this. Well, you yourself, you do keynote speaking and you talk about equity and various other important issues. How did you get involved in that side? Is it just something that you learned as you started this process? Can you tell me about that part of your life? Yeah, I think that by finding out that um, I feel like the lack of PPE, gender inclusive, inclusivity, and like uh, product offering is tied to the gap of gender e- equality in the workforce. Mm. Um, so as I kind of discover, you know, because male enter the workforce before woman does um, things that protect males body to get the job done was there in the beginning and once the female enter the workforce you know unless we speak up and trying to ask that it was important to us that that was going to be a ship in the market to create the product for women too um and so when I started the company, it was for the mission that making sure the women were protected and now is going to making sure everyone is protected mm-hmm. because the problem was bigger than that. 
Um, but because our mission from the beginning was about advocated for gender equality in the workplace, it eventually becomes gender equality in, in the bigger picture as well. I hope uh, that makes sense. It, it does make sense. <laughs> Actually, it, it calls to mind, are you familiar with the founder story? Probably you are of Sarah Blakely and Spanx and how that came to yes, be. Yes, yes, yes. She's really inspirational in a way that sure. she bootstrap her business for many years and many years and make it oh. work. Um, but she too hey, went to those factories. To yeah, she went to the factories and found that only men were designing these products for women and they had no concept of what would actually fit. Um, that was a key really part really true. Yeah. I have a really funny story to share. Okay. <laughs> um, so when we were testing our fire-resistant clothing products, so these are like size, like extra small, extra, extra small to large, right? Because we're making it in women's sizing. And, and so we sent uh, a size medium to our testing, like third-party testing facility, and they emailed me back, like, the, the clothing it does not fit, like, the, um, like the, mannequin the mannequin that they yeah. use for, for fire blasting to test that it works. <laughs> sure. And they sent me a picture of the mannequin. It was a, this huge, like, a muscular, <laughs> like, <Nice>. like, <laughs> like a Nike like, mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but you know, think like muscular, like big, like mannequin, because that's what they used for. Like, they used to test. There weren't like a female body testing product, like yeah, well, the mannequin to test for this type. This type this. So we actually have to make like an extra, extra, extra large size okay. <laughs> to test our product in order to sell our product to the market. I think what they're doing though isn't that funny. It, it is funny. I, th I think that. <laughs> I think that the reason that happened is because they just assume that at some point in everybody's life who works in a laboratory, they'll either spill something radioactive on themselves or they'll get bitten by a radioactive spider. They'll get superpowers and then they'll get muscles. Uh, so, you know, it's a common thing, right? <laughs> if you work Whatever in a lab long enough, Ross. you're going <laughs> to be like, oh, I regret it already. Okay. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, often it's okay, but yes, no, it, it I, got, up I got chemical on myself, and then it was like a bad sunburn for several weeks. And that it, I didn't gain any superpowers, no superpowers, <laughs> no, not <laughs> even business insight. Doesn't that count as um, you got the superpower of I entrepreneurship? Know. I don't know, I just asked, Why do I need to get hurt? Yeah, right, so. yeah, no, it sounds, <laughs> sounds very, very unpleasant. Um. So this many years into the process, do you feel good about the arc that you have made? Do you feel that you're on the right track? Do you feel that you're on to something big? Uh, being on the right track is really subjective. Mm. Um, and um, personally, if I have to share, I ask myself that every day. Mm, yeah. Because being entrepreneur and following a not often path mm -hmm. is a difficult one. And no one could tell you if you're on the right path or not, except you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can have advisors, you can have mentors, you can have other entrepreneurs, but they don't, they, they're not in the PPE. They're not doing what I'm doing. Right. They're not doing the way that I'm doing. And what is, what is considered fulfilling for me is different from what is fulfilling to others. Yeah. Uh, what I could say is I ask myself every day, if I'm still passionate about this solution, like this mm -hmm. solution that I'm building, if I still enjoy the process. And if the answer is yes, then I keep going. 
and, and you know it, it's yeah. the answer is different too like it's not always a yes and yes maybe a yes or no yes or maybe yes if um but if it's good enough and i think it's worth pursuing then i'm still keep doing it do you think that there are because i think every entrepreneurial person i can definitely relate to that a hundred percent do you think that there are certain macro goals because we must separate the macro goals from each day some days are hard some weeks are hard but then sometimes if you look back over the last year you might say okay i've actually accomplished a fair bit in the last year on whole even if there were many moments that were really tough along that journey are you able to separate the day-to-day -day, if it's difficult from the bigger picture and are you able to sort of look at milestones and say, this is what I've achieved and then feel good about that or look at feedback that you've gotten and then feel better about that when the going gets tough? I mean, there is, and, and I'm running a business. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not <laughs> just doing something just because, I, I'm not just doing a, like a creative project. So mm -hmm. we have key performance indicator, things that we measure, whether that is financial goals, mission-driven, customer driven and things like that and you will see it grow over time of course you work on something you see it grow over time mm -hmm. but what i'm saying ross as as myself mm -hmm. like i have i have um almost kind of like my own milestone to hit um and i think that's this is different from from like the number itself mm even like how do i grow as an entrepreneur because as the business grow you face a different challenge that you are not uh equipped to deal with mm -hmm. so i can share with you like as an entrepreneur what i ask myself when i'm what i think the business is worth pursuing or not is am i learning something today mm. am i feeling fulfilled with the mission that i'm uh, i'm doing today um, do I think that the progression of the business are still aligning with the mission I care about? And those are the three things that, that I use as my KPI. Hmm. And it's really like not number driven or value driven by any way, but those are the three things I really care about Yeah. as an entrepreneur. Now, what do you think you might have done if you hadn't done this? Would you have just gotten a job somewhere? What would the alternative path might have been? coming from an impressive background such as yours? I think I would have started another venture. Okay. I don't know where it will be. <laughs> you would have done a business no matter what. Yeah. Okay. Um, I asked myself too, because the hard days are, are tough. Sure. When you're running a business and I'm yeah. like, ah, oh, I wish I have a good paying job where you just go nine to five and you don't have to think about it. You get a check. Uh, <laughs> so but then much I thought more stress. about it. So I, I really don't like that lifestyle. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I feel the same way. So um, if this would have failed or if I would have done this, I would have figured out a way to do something in a different journey. Do you feel that as bad as this path might get? And that's no secret for any entrepreneur. Yeah, and I don't want to say better. it's bad because it's not bad. I, it's, I guess it's like a... I guess what I'm trying to say is in the moments, because I have moments like that too, I mean, but my, my business is a, is a marketing agency and you know, building websites and all of those kinds of things for clients. And 
there are very, very tough moments. But then I think back to the alternative, which is working for somebody from nine to five and having no potential for growth other than that. And yeah, or not working on something that you care about and have to be forced to work on something you don't care about. Right. And having (laughs) somebody yell at you. Those are like. Like as hard as it is dealing with taxes and employees Uh, and all of that stuff. I just think about the time when I worked at Best Buy in high school and I showed up one minute late and I had three different managers yelling at me because I punched in at 9.01 instead of 9 o'clock. And I think never again. I can never, (laughs) ever go back there. (laughs) Is that something that you feel too? I do. I keep asking myself all the time. That's that's also what's keep me going. So in the next five years, everything goes swimmingly. Everything goes according to plan. What would you like to see happen? What would be best case scenario from here? The best case scenario is the company is doing what it's supposed to do, which is growing our mission. Yeah. Um, I, I love to think that I will still be involved in the company for the long term. But as the company grows, I don't know how that entails. Um, but I mean... I, I I just wish that in, in the next five years, and I don't wish, I think that I will make it there because I have the tools and the space to to get there is I still be getting up and doing the things that I'm passionate about doing. Um, uh, you know, like I hope I had an opportunity to give back, rather that is through mentoring others to pursue mm-hmm. the things that they love to do. Um, and I think that's it. Well, you've received a handful of accolades. <laughs> you've gotten some. Uh, you've gotten some recognition. I don't uh, know this like answer you're looking for, but it's no, truly. I'm not looking for. You know, like answer. my my um, again, my milestone and things that measure yeah. success are a little bit less number driven. Yeah. Because you care about something else, which is the mission. And your business, it sounds to me, is a a means to an end rather than an end in itself. And that's the kind of business that I'm interested in. I have no interest in talking to people for whom uh, money is the only goal. And that's not what this show has ever been about. From day one, it's redefining success to be something else. And a mission is is part of that. And, and envisioning a better future in some way, whatever that might mean, whether that's talking about climate change or science or AI, there are many different ways that we can envision a better future than today. But that's the part that I'm interested in. I'd rather talk to somebody who has their heart in the right place doing something interesting than talk to the uh, a billionaire or somebody who just got wealthy who cares how they did it. It's a, it's a nuance, but it's important to me. Great. So, all right. You've gotten some accolades and some awards. How has that made you feel? Does that matter to you at all when you get mentioned on some of these lists that I've seen or featured on various platforms? Um, for me, it's not the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that because we are in an early stage still, we're growing and the company and the mission is in early stage still. By getting award and recognition, it's almost acting like a marketing brand awareness mm-hmm. to get our mission out there. So we could find the right partner so we can find a, a better way to make impact. And so, you know, PR is a, another marketing vehicle that we are uh, focusing on 
um, to make sure that we are out there and people know about us. Uh, but it's not the most important thing for me. Well, at this point, like you said, eight years from idea to execution, what advice do you have for anybody who has an idea or who has maybe noticed a gap in the market to bring out their idea or to turn that idea into a reality? I think takes taking small steps. I took really, really small steps in the beginning. And it was the collections of the action of small steps that I take that get me into start the business, building the first product, get the first product into the market, get the first B2B customer, get the first funding until where we are now, which is, you know, seven figures, six, six seven figures mm -hmm. uh, revenue run rate. That's incredible. Um, but it's yeah. it's it's the it's a one small action on top of others, and and just make yourself accountable. Do yeah. you believe that everybody has to take the leap at some point? Was there a moment where you felt like you had to take a leap of faith or whatever you want to call it, or do you feel like you did it in such a small way over such an extended period of time that there wasn't really a moment where you had to go all in on it? Have you heard about the? Um, 20 uh, 80 20 rule yeah mm -hmm. that um 20 percent of your action will result in 80 percent of the return mm -hmm. and i think if you know what what action you take will give you the most impact is to go after that however my caveat is not everyone know what's the 20 action that you do that will create those 80 percent impact and so for me, it takes me a while to figure it out what the 20% of my action that make me happy and feel fulfilled for the 80%. Mm. And so my advice is find that 20% <laughs> and then go all in so you can capitalize on whatever make you feel the best version that you can be. That's great. And I'm still working on that myself. And it sure. changed it over time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what for you is the is that 20% right now? Um, yeah, so there's, there's a couple of things, you know, like there's a personally and there's a from a business standpoint. Uh, from the business standpoint, we do things that would create the most impact to the customer. You know, like if, if there are any other projects that look fancy or look really cool, or look really, it would be great for PR or investor who jumped in. We don't work on it just because it looks cool. We work on the things that will create impact to the consumer, even if it's just the most boring thing. Mm. Um, so those are kind of like my mindset. For me personally, I make sure that I have a mind space to do the things that I want to do in life. I love playing tennis and tennis is like my break time. So I, I block my time to schedule those as a part of my life. And That's I great. always protected those things because it's keep me fulfilled and doing the best, being the best I can be. That sounds awesome. Wise advice for anybody listening. So <laughs> We've, so yeah, we don't go after crypto PPE. We yeah, don't exactly, go after Bitcoin PPE. We're not releasing do... your NFTs. Are you doing no, your NFT drop right no, now? No, unless it's like a certain somebody. something. <laughs> Whom we shall not name. Uh, <laughs> we won't go into it. 
But uh, that is awesome. Well, l- let me be the one to, to be in your corner and to cheer you on. I think it's great that you've done this and that you have a mission. And also the greater goal that you have, I think, is excellent. And I hope that you're able to make a dent in both the healthcare industry from a sustainability perspective, which would be one win, but also from an equity and inclusion perspective, which would be another very big win. So you're sort of tackling a couple of very interesting and good problems at the same time, which I think is really awesome. And that's what drew me to your story in the first place. Um, Now that we have reached the end of our hour, um, I'd like to give the floor to you to wrap up this episode. So anything you want to promote or mention, or if there's a parting word of wisdom, now is the time you can finish us off here. Yeah. So, you know, check out Armacy. If you have healthcare professionals in your network, family, friends, uh, make sure you tell them about us. Um, and it's not just healthcare professionals. You know, we also sell fire-resistant, chemical-resistant products for many industry, um, like you said, like research, pharmaceutical, oil and gas, refinery. Um, and my advice is if you have something you're passionate about, just write down one or two things that you can do today to validate your ideas or moving it forward. You know, um, again, for me, those little steps add up over time and they get me to where I need to be. That's excellent. And that website is amorsui.com, right? Yep. Okay. We got it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bo. It's been an absolute pleasure. And with that, the official podcast recording is over. Thank you so much. Bye.